We are in the very last text of 1 Timothy. We're, we're going to keep going through the pastoral letters. They are important and rich. They are all connected. We are listening to the Apostle Paul minister to a couple pastors, Timothy and Titus. This is the longest of the pastoral letters. And this is kind of, he ends, and whatever kind of gap there was between First and Second Timothy, for us it'll be seven days. For, for them it might have been months, it might have been a year or two. Whatever that gap is, we're just going to keep listening in the weeks to come. But you're, you're seeing at least a conclusion of an initial conversation that we're just call that is First Timothy, and that that first letter. And at the end of a letter, there's always some general exhortations, and 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 that's what they were. And if, if you were here last week, Paul gave these commands: beware of this, beware of this, like avoid these things. And then look at verse 11. But now he's going to state something positive. And you might have been listening to Joel read, and there was just a lot there. Like there's, just, there's, there's a lot of verses. There's a lot of words. Paul, in the middle, in verses 14 and 15, takes us to the clouds about Christ's immortality and all this kind of language. But you know what really Paul is doing? He's speaking specifically to Timothy, and he's saying, here's how I'm charging you to be a person of God. And because Timothy is supposed to model that for his people, then we can rightly see that everything that Paul is saying to Timothy, he's actually saying to us. So while you may have heard those 11 or whatever verses and been like, what is, what is Paul saying there? I'd like to just show you in the next 25 minutes that actually what Paul is doing is giving us three characteristics of a person of God. Like his final exhortation to say, hey, pursue this. Fight for this. Like this is the goal. Like don't miss this. Like of everything I've said to you, the ultimate goal is that you would be a person of God. And you know that word of means in English? All the kids who are in at least in the Roscoe School District are like, oh man, I mean, surely, I hate surely, right? Like the grammar and the language. But that of means possession. So for a Christian, we want to be literally owned by God. That he has such a role in our lives. That our identity is so found in him that we begin to look like Christ. And when you begin to look like Christ, there are just certain things that you will do, certain ways that you will live, certain habits that you will practice that reflect God's ownership over your life. So I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to minister to us this morning, but just be ready to hear three characteristics of a person of God that, that not just that we as Christians would exhort one another to, but that the Lord himself this morning would say to all of us, brothers and sisters, this is the goal of your life. This is the direction I want you to take as you walk with Christ. So let's pray and ask the Lord to minister to us through his word this morning. Father, help us to hear your word. Open our eyes to your truth. Let us see its beauty. and Help us to see what the good fight of faith is that Paul exhorts us to this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that Jesus Christ already lived our life for us. Father, we, we receive the truth of the gospel this morning and feel no burden to earn what Christ has already paid in full, but want to just respond to the life set before us that is rich and full and bountiful in grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The first characteristic is stated in verse 11, and, and, and listen, listen to this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Paul's looking back to what he said. And then here's the word that Vera mentioned to the kids sitting among us, pursue. Like flee what I was warning you about and pursue these things. And he gives this list of six things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Before we even look at those, just think about that word pursue for a minute. What are you pursuing? Like, what are you striving for? I know it's a weekend and, and you're trying to not think about work or it's Father's Day and you're thinking about some kind of celebration or just family meal you might have in the next few hours. But just, just allow yourself to sit under God's word, be ministered to by a gracious God, and just Open your heart for a second before the Lord and just ask yourself, what are you pursuing? A better job? A degree? Something with your home? Maybe you're single and you're hoping for a spouse. Maybe you're young married and you're hoping for children and a family. Maybe it's just various activities or vacations. Maybe deep down, what do you long for that kind of dictates to you where you spend your mental energy, where you spend your resources and your time? What are you pursuing? Like if you were being honest, not something that you would say maybe in a small group discussion, right? Or if we called you out, you'd say, what are you pursuing? I mean, like seriously, deep down, privacy of your own heart, what are you pursuing? Like what are you craving? If you are a Christian, let me ask this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are you pursuing a life that is wealthy in the harvest of, of the gospel? Like, is, is God and the things of God part of what you're pursuing? I get it. You got to go to work on Monday. I get it. You got busy stuff with the kids or grandkids. I get it that there's other common grace gifts that are wonderful to enjoy in this world. But here's the question. Is part of what you're pursuing a life that is wealthy in the harvest and the fruit of the gospel? Like, is that even on the radar? See, we don't instinctively do that, do we? We don't instinctively. You don't have to tell us to pursue a vacation. You don't have to tell us to be investing and in pursuing things for our kids. That's instinctive. You don't have to tell us that we want a better job or we, we, we want to do something with our house or we, we want to have more income. Like, that is instinctive. You're not... Oh, it's so hard to be devoted to money. Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to, like, the daily focus on those things are instinctive. But it can be hard to focus on God. Why? Why is that the case? Why are we not waking up every morning and say, I just don't want to, go. I just want to read the Psalms till noon. Can I just call my boss and just read the Psalms till noon? Like, nobody wakes up and says that. It's work that dominates, and then like spending time in God's word and, and, and the work of the gospel becomes burdensome. It's because of sin. Here's the reason. Because of sin, we just crave lesser things. Because of sin, we don't desire the things of God. We desire the things of self. And that is such a burden. And we, we, we've just never tasted it any other way. We will one day. You will one day as believers when the Lord himself returns and the 
full weight of sin is removed, you will feel that you are no longer pursuing anything because you are fully satisfied. But right now, we are so craving the things of this world. That's why in verse 12, the Apostle Paul is going to use fight language. Right? You've got, you got to fight. But before we get there, look at what he says to pursue in verse 11. Pursue these things. Now don't, don't hear this list as trying to induce guilt. Please don't hear that. We, we believe in the gospel, and the gospel simply says Christ has already lived your life for you, and by faith in Christ you've received that. So this is just exhorting you to the fullness of life that you have. These six things are the traits of a spiritual person, things that we pray for. You can't necessarily grunt and kind of make them happen. Lord, help me to have these traits in my life. Help me to believe that these things are more fulfilling than the other things to which I'm instinctively drawn. If you look at those six, I even gave you a little bit of a kind of a chart in your notes because I think that every other word is relating to a former word and you have really two, two kind of lines of thought. The first two words are righteousness and godliness. And, and, and those are conducts. Righteous conduct and godly conduct. Righteous conduct shows that we are connected to God, like we have received the grace of Christ, and it forms our identity. Godliness is, connected, is, is related to our commitment to God. Like we are taking our identity and wanting to live that out. So then look at the virtues that flow from these. Right, out of righteousness flows faith, and out of godliness flows love. And the words below I put there in your notes, one is submission and one is service. So what are the habits? Like you, you can't, you can't you're, not, you're not doing a, uh, some kind of MRI and finding this out in the life of a person. So, so what are the symptoms you're going to see in someone's life when they have righteousness that is born by faith and godliness which is born by love? What, what, are, the, what are the two habits? The text says steadfastness and gentleness. Or maybe my words, think of them as endurance and empathy. Endurance. That somebody who is connected to God, who has submitted his or her life to Christ, is anchored in the gospel, and they are ready. They know life is hard. They know that it's a long path, and there are numerous burdens, and they are so anchored that they are just not tossed about. Have you met somebody who's anchored in Christ? Have you seen the difference between somebody who's anchored in Christ when the storm comes and somebody who's just tossed around by every little small thing? Like, what anchors them? Well, it's ultimately a faith, but, but it's rooted in a righteousness that their identity is in Christ. You can't buy that anchoring. You can't, there's no self-help book that's going to give you that. That's a gift from Jesus because you're connected to God. Look, look at the second one. Godliness, commitment to God, shows itself in love, service for God, and that habit is gentleness. Could we not have used a little gentleness in the United States of America over the last 12 months? Could we not have had a little bit softer spoken way we speak? If 
The first habit means we're anchored in the gospel. I think the second one is that it's the attitude that reflects the gospel. Empathy. You think we need a bit more empathy? To see someone else's perspective? To imagine standing in their shoes? To feel what they might be feeling? To have a heart broken for people? Now imagine a church with 100 people. Just a hundred people, hundred Christians who are anchored in the gospel and have attitudes that reflect the gospel. Can you imagine how beautiful that body of Christians would be? Imagine the state line area having thousands of Christians who are anchored in the gospel and their attitudes reflect a life of commitment to service and other love. That's the first characteristic. Pursue the fruits of of the spiritual life, and they are not bought. They are a gift that comes over time as the fruits of the Spirit working in a gospel-changed life. And Paul says, pursue those things. Pray, Father, help me to be anchored in the gospel. Father, help me to have an attitude that reflects the gospel. Help me be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Help me to guard my own pride. Help me to think from other perspectives. Help me to be generous in word and deed. That's the first. The second characteristic is in verse 12. And here's this language of fight. Man, in, in our, our, our Christian culture loves fight language. I've, I've shared with you before kind of the two main ways that we culturally engage in our tradition. It's the purity from, pull out, get away, separate, right? The sin's out there. It's not me. Of course not. It's out there, right? Sin's not me. It's them. It's the world. And the other is defense against, which normally manifests itself in politics. And we are just masters at that for the last three generations, arguably. There's a one person alive now that hasn't in some way been drinking that water and breathing that air if you've been in this American evangelical tradition. And there's, that's, not, that's, not a, that's not a critique of our tradition because we are part of that. It's just simply, just simply the, the family history, like a medical history. It's not, you're not repudiating your aunt just because she had breast cancer. You're just aware that that is potentially in you. And you're just aware of that. And you might do things to adjust that because you know heart condition or cancer in your family history means you've got to think about that for your own life. So we want to look at our family history of American evangelicalism and say, what are some of the medical histories that we want to be aware of? And one is that we've been ready to fight. We want to fight the government. We want to fight the governors. We want to fight other groups of people. And when Paul's talking fight, that's not what he's talking about. Paul's call to battle in verse 12 is not a battle with Ephesus. He's not telling them to go to the Ephesian school board and figure some things out for our kids, even if that might be a fair and honorable thing to do. He's talking about a battle for eternity. Our defense against approach to culture, so common in our tradition, distorts Paul's words. We hear fight the good fight of faith. The police here says fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called 
and about which you were made, you, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then he gives the example in 13 and following of Christ, like Christ did this. Like he made this confession, I serve the Father. And you just saw that in all he did. But how did he do it? He was totally anchored, and his attitude was empathy and gentleness. So please don't miss that the very last word of verse 11 is gentleness, and then the very first word in verse 12 is fight. Please make sure that this fight has, is loaded with gentleness. To skip, oh yeah, yeah, 11, 11, I get verse 11. Yeah, we got to fight, we got to fight. Careful. Jesus warned us about that. This fight is not the stuff that's addressed on either CNN or Fox News. And its victory is not to be secured either in the legislative or judicial branches. This is a battle that looks exactly the same whether in America or China. At stake is the faith, the message the Christian is charged to practice, proclaim, and pass on. This explains Paul's command to take hold of the eternal life. That's interesting. Like, what do you mean? How do, I, how do I take hold of the eternal life? Like, how do I take hold? Like, how do I grab this thing? It feels like that's abstract. It feels like it's far away. Why is Paul using language like I'm supposed to wrap myself around it like it's a tree? It's not a duration of life, eternal. It's more of a quality of life. Remember that anchored idea? In short, a person of God lives radically for Christ and is willing to leave everything and follow him. Like if you really want to pursue righteousness and godliness in verse 11, then the fight is simply saying the things of this world are not primary. And that is so hard for us to do. It's Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of man? No. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's make the kingdom great again. Listen to Ecclesiastes 2. We went through this book some time ago, but Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11, talks about what the, what the messenger Learn. He's, and he, this is what he said, verse 10, 210, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Like, I, everything I wanted, I took. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my work, and this was my reward for all my toil. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes 211, then I considered all that my hands had done and the work I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, meaningless and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You might wonder, why is this kind of strange book of Ecclesiastes in our Bible? Because God wants us to realize that all these things will one day be strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and grace. Maybe this would be our prayer. Lord, help us to desire you so much that our life great reaches for eternity in the present. Like, that we're reaching to hold on to eternity. I am only going to be anchored by eternal things. My country, I'm not anchoring to that. My family, I'm not anchoring to that. I, my own body, my own life, the fact that death is coming, I don't anchor to those things. I hold to the truth of Christ. I am anchored in that 
That is what I hold. In a sense, I'm holding the cross. That's the tree. I'm grabbing the cross and I'm holding on. And when the storm comes, I am anchored to that. And everything else, I will let go of my hands, my money, my possessions, my own physical life. But I grab the cross. Take hold of the eternal life. And that's a fight. It's a song that you may know, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The song was written in 1920s. I think it was 22. So let's say next year, 100 years ago. But it was drawn from a pamphlet being passed around in England called The Heavenly Vision. And some woman who was going through horrific struggles and deep suffering read this pamphlet about a heavenly vision. She wrote this song. This song is not about escaping the world, but grasping for eternal life in the midst of suffering. I've got, the, I've got kind of the, the key phrases of the song in your notes. Look at those with me. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go straight, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now, you're going to help me sing this now, right? I mean, you're not going to make me do a solo, right? I mean, probably dishonor the Lord. Sing with me, will you? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So when you sit there, you've got that doctor's appointment about which you're scared, or that financial worry, or crises even as we tasted this week in our area with that big fire just down the road. When issues in your life feel like they're shaking you to the core. When you don't know what's going to happen with your life, your family, your kids, your own body. You worry about our community or our country or things in the world. This is the heavenly vision that some young English woman wrote a hundred years ago for us to sing. Sing it again with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace now get this those are fighting words didn't sound very aggressive, did it? That didn't sound like a fight at all. The church singing like one choir in one voice. Maybe some of you sang that and loved that song. Maybe others are so broken and suffering inside, you couldn't even get the words out. And your brothers and sisters, they literally ministered to you as they sang above you and from behind you and in front of you so that those words could be spoken into your life. Those are fighting words. But you don't see anger and aggression, do you? You don't see some kind of, uh, kind of political 
gathering together of forces and fundraising and signature signing. What do you see? You see Christ. The one to whom we sang, who was called both what? Not just the lion. Maybe we like that one more than the lamb. The lion and the lamb. And we hold that cross. We hold that cross. That's the fight. And we look up to his eyes. And the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the second characteristic. That that we would take hold of eternal life. The last is in verse 18. Paul says this. They, a person of God, is to to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. What a great characteristic. In the context of warning those with wealth to beware the love of money, Paul in this passage exhorts all Christians to become so wealthy in Christ. Hear that. Wealthy in Christ that you become rich in good works. Like it's not about just wealth in money. It's about wealth in Christ. To be big spenders in generosity and hospitality. And it might not cost you a penny. When, when we read verse 18, that can only happen when a, person, a person's life is transformed so that the gifts from God turn into gifts for others. That's how it happens. Look at verse 19, explains it further. Regarding this person who is, who is rich in good works, that they're storing up treasure for themselves as a a good foundation for the future, like the stuff that lasts, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that last phrase of verse 19 is, is literally pointing right back to the beginning of verse 12 where it says, take hold of the eternal life, right? So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Like, where is the good life found? It is in the life filled with a person who is rich in Christ. And they might have little to show for it in their boy toys, or the size of their house, or the comfort with which they live and enjoy material common grace blessings, but they are rich in Christ, and it shows. And they share that wealth with not only those in their own family, but even those in their own church family. So you want to know what your best life now looks like? In sickness and in health? Whether rich or poor? It's a life that is filled with the fruits of the Spirit. Character trait one. That's healthy. It's a life that is overflowing with the generosity of God. That's character trait number three. That's wealthy. And it's a life that is anchored in eternity. That's trait number two. That's wise. You want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. Be overflowing with the generosity of God. And have a life that is anchored in eternity. Brothers and sisters, just hours before his crucifixion, listen to this as we close. Just hours before his crucifixion, Matthew 26, 41. When the disciples couldn't even help Jesus pray for what he was about to do. Like they couldn't. Like they're literally falling asleep and he's coming back like, do you, seriously, you're not going to pray for this? And to be fair, they didn't quite get it. 
They failed to focus on the most important things. Jesus came back a second time. They were still sleeping. And here's what he said. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, that's why Paul, in verse 12, says it's going to be a fight. You need to fight the good fight of faith so that you can have a life fully connected and fully committed to God. And in that fight, if you can battle that fight and grab onto eternity and be rich in good works and pursue righteousness and godliness, you will have a life that is so full Hashtag blessed even. Not because of common grace. Not because there's no cancer. Not because all your money problems went away. Not because all your kids are doing fine. It can be actually in the midst of that storm. Because you're holding on to that cross. That you are anchored and tethered to the one who is called both the lion and the lamb. Let's pray. Father, these traits draw us to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Help us to pursue the things that the Apostle Paul calls us to pursue. Father, as Christ himself taught us, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are, we are weak to respond in this way. It is hard for us to do. Father, I pray that you would just instill in us a vision of the full Christian life that looks beyond all the material things that this world describes or defines as the good life and that we would be drawn by your Spirit to pursue these traits of a person of God. Father, may our youngest children, even hearing and grasping parts of what we talk about as adults, grasp that and pursue that even now in their young age. Thank you for your word which ministers to us. Receive now these closing words. Help us to see what this song teaches us so that it can guide us as we pursue being men and women and children belonged to by God, owned by God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.